kingdom split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel, which uh, Jeroboam was the first king of, and um, he was from the tribe of Ephraim, was Solomon's servant, and the Lord gave a prophecy by Ahijah the prophet that Jeroboam would have ten tribes. Um, the first king of the southern kingdom was Rehoboam, which was Solomon's son, and he reigned in, Israel, in Judah for 17 years. Jeroboam reigned in Israel for 22 years. Uh, Abijah uh, was the king of two names. Uh, he was called Abijah. God is my father, or my father is Jehovah. And he was also known as Abijam, which was Yam is my father, which was the, sea, the Canaanite sea god. Uh, he reigned only for two years in Judah, and he wasn't a good king. And then we saw Asa, the first good king. And he reigned for 41 years in Judah. So, during the time of Asa's reign, I'm only putting all of this up now for a background, because we're going to look at the first of one of many kings uh, that uh, reigned during Asa's reign. So Asa reigned for 41 years in the southern kingdom of Judah. He came to the throne in the 20th year of Jeroboam. So in the last two years of Jeroboam's 22-year reign, Asa came to the throne in um, Judah. Nadab then was Jeroboam's son. He reigned in Israel for two years. But Asher was from the tribe of Issachar. And while uh, Nadab was on a, a military exercise trying to take the town of, uh, um, from the Gibeonites, uh, from the Philistines, anyway, uh, while, uh, while uh, Nadab was on a military campaign, but Asher killed him uh, from the tribe of Issachar, and then he took the throne uh, for uh, 24 years. His son then, Elah, uh, reigned for two years before he was killed by his servant, Zimri. Zimri reigned for seven days on the throne in Israel before he was, um, anyway, uh, he was taken out then and Omri uh, took over um, and half of Israel followed Omri and half of Israel followed Tibni before Tibni died and then Omri reigned for 12 years before handing over his son uh, Ahab. So I've only said all of that to say that all of these kings in Israel reigned during the 41 years of Asa's reign. So you can see the turnover that's taking place in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and again, what we have in the southern kingdom, remember um, God said, to, when he gave the prophecy to Jeroboam, I'm going to give you ten tribes, but I'm going to keep some tribes for David, my servant's sake. In the southern kingdom, it was always David's line that reigned on the throne. When we come to the northern kingdom, the dynasties change all the time. Jeroboam and Nadab were from the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, but Asher and Elah were from the tribe of Issachar. So we see that there wasn't one uh, dynasty in the northern kingdom. That was, it was like, the, 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 the kings changed all the time. The families changed all the time. So you can see the, the I suppose, the, the, the disorder, the chaos uh, that was taking place in the northern kingdom. So the king that we're going to look at um, today is Nadab. Uh, and we've been saying about these various kings, you know, that Solomon was the king of fools, Rehoboam was the king of second best, Jeroboam the king of counterfeits, 
Abijah, Abijam, the king of two names, Asa, the king who started well, and Nadab is the king of defiance. Have you ever known anybody who's defiant? <laughs> How is it then that everybody was married said yes and they suddenly turned to the person next to them? Um, marriage counseling will be available all week. Um, from the hours of uh, 8 until 4. So you can come and see me in the office for those that, uh, that need it. But anyway, uh, if you've known somebody who's really defiant, um, sometimes, you know, I'm not going to say which one because my, my girls have a bit of a raw deal as pastor's children and they kind of uh, use those illustrations left, right and centre. But one of them <laughs> was quite defiant. And when you told them to do something... And I remember asking advice from, you know, from my in-laws and from my parents, like, what do you do? And they, <laughs> they said, you've got to break them. Well, I'm not saying which one it is, but at 25 years of age, I still haven't broken her. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know some people who are just defiant. You ever notice that sometimes, and again, married couples, maybe somebody's got a something in their mind that they want to do and they will not be moved. That's their theme song. We shall not, we shall not be moved. And once they dig their heels in, women, you, I mean, once they dig their heels in, there's no shift in them. And Nadab was the king of defiance. And it's incredible because his future was very bright. His future was one of potential blessing. Um, unfortunately, his father laid the foundation for his future, and as a result, because of Nadab's defiance, we end up seeing his failure. First Kings, chapter 15, and verse 25, it says, And Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. And Baasha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Baasha smote him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. But Nadab and all Israel laid siege, laid siege in Gibbethon. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together this morning, for this opportunity to come around your word and we just pray Lord that you speak to our hearts this morning sometimes each and every one of us can be defiant uh, when it comes to a decision when it comes to uh, an opinion when it comes to something that we want to do when we want our own way but Father I pray that we would never be defiant when it comes to being obedient to your word I pray that we wouldn't dig our heels in when you tell us clearly to do something because we want our own way and Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts this morning. And if anybody here today has been defiant in a particular area of their walk with you, maybe in their Bible reading, in, in their attendance in church, in their witnessing, in their praying, whatever it may be, maybe they've been defiant because they're holding on to a particular sin that you've been convicting them about. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts and help us to realize that we have a blessed future ahead of us if we're obedient to your will and to your word. Father, I pray you'd help us recognize that we have not been saved to be a failure. So Lord, would you help us to recognize that the victory is ours 
and help us to break down that defiance that might creep itself into our lives. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Nadab was promised a very bright future. He was promised a blessed future. But, let me ask this question before we go into that. If somebody came to you and said, right, if you do this, then your kids are going to be set for the rest of their lives. Would you do it? You know, I think when you become a parent, you would literally do anything for your children. You know, it amazes me now when I look back on what my parents sacrificed. Um, you know, we never had um, um, much money growing up, but we never went with it. And then when you become a parent yourself, you realize, how do they do it? How do they actually do this with the little that they had? Because we always managed to go on a holiday, we always managed to have stuff for Christmas, and, but you realize then the sacrifices that they made. When you grow up then and you recognize, well, actually, it took them the full year to pay off the Christmas that we had. And, but they would do it for the children. And I think when you become a parent, you'd, you'd have to do this. I'd do anything for my kids. No matter what. You would make those sacrifices. If somebody came to us and said, look, as long as you did this, as long as you didn't break any laws or rules or uh, within reason, but if you did this, if you lived this particular way, if you honored the Lord, if you did this, then your kids would be set for the rest of their lives. Even if you didn't want to do it yourself, part of you would be like, okay, this is a sacrifice I could make just so that they would be okay. Nadab's future was very bright. Ahijah the prophet said to Jeroboam, if thou will hearken unto all that I command thee and will walk in my ways and do that which is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, then I will be with thee. And build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. I'll build thee a sure house. That means something which is steadfast, something which is uh, sure, something which is firm, something which is on a, a good foundation, something which will last forever. Isn't it every parent's desire to, I know we, we joke about it and say, oh, it's just kind of like we're spending the kids' inheritance, you know, we're just... We're going to live our lives because we, why are we going to leave it behind? But there is that thought in your mind as well. At least when we go, you know, the, the kids can have the house. Or at least when this happens, you know, the, the kids will have something. Jeroboam was told, if you are just obedient to the Lord's word, you'll have a sure house. Something that will last forever. Like if somebody came to you and said, look, as long as you avoid this, then your kids are not going to make the same mistake. As long as you avoid this. If only Jeroboam had listened. Ahijah pronounces beforehand the type of future that Jeroboam could have had. If that conditional promise, if you do this, then this is what will happen. God holds the future. The future belongs to him. He knows what he's doing and he works out his purpose despite our failures. When we submit to him, we're not submitting to some pie in the sky. We're not submitting to somebody who hasn't got a clue what's happening. We're submitting to somebody who knows the beginning from the end. We're submitting to somebody who already knows what's going to take place in our future. 
So why don't we trust him? Why do we panic so much about what's going to happen tomorrow when we know God is already in control? You know, we see God's love in that God didn't have to say this to Jeroboam. God didn't have to say, look, as long as you'll do this. God made a promise to Israel that Israel would receive a land. He made a promise to Israel that Israel, uh, the, the covenant promises. And Jeroboam had an opportunity to be a part of that. If you do this, I'll build you a sure house. If you do this, I will give you a kingdom just like David. We see God's love in the fact that he disciplines, not to destroy, but to build up. God works to teach us how to grow. You know, there were opportunities in Jeroboam's life where the Lord just kept reminding him, look, still got an opportunity to have a sure house you've still got an opportunity to put things right you've still got an opportunity to do what's right but we know best don't we and we can look back at Jeroboam and say oh what an idiot what a fool I can't believe he did that and we do the exact same thing every single day oh we don't well let me ask you something I'm going to ask you three simple things what does God tell us to do every single day what should we be reading every single day? His word. Well, let me ask you this. Do we read God's word every single day without fail? We're told to pray without ceasing, but can we honestly say that we 100% pray without ceasing? God has told us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. But we'll use any old excuse not to be in church. God knows what he's doing. God has told us what to do, but we refuse to submit to his will. Why? Because just like Jeroboam, we know best. Well, I'm not going to do that. Why not? Because I know God's word says, but I know God's word says, but I know God's word says, but God's word is our foundation for everything we do as believers. God has the final product in mind. He knew what Jeroboam's kingdom could have been like. He knew what Nadab's kingdom could have been like. He knew that Nadab's future was really bright if Jeroboam had just been obedient to his word. You know, as parents, we have an incredible responsibility to our kids. But you know the amount of times I've heard parents say, yeah, I don't want to force my kids to church because they just grow up to resent it. How many of you force your kids to go to school every day? We didn't turn around and say, oh, yeah, well, I, I don't want to go to school in case they resent it. We force them to do stuff every day. We force them to brush their teeth every day, even though they didn't want to. We force them uh, to go to school every day, even though we didn't want to. But when it comes to church, we're like, yeah, but they, they just grow up resenting it. You know, many kids are not in church today because parents had that attitude. Jeroboam wasn't just affecting his future. He was affecting his children's future and his grandchildren's future. Everything we do, whether we like it or not, has a consequence to those that come behind us depending on how we live our lives. 
as believers. And sometimes God will chastise us. There's nothing we can do about the mistakes we made in the past. But we can certainly put things right so we don't make similar mistakes in the future. We don't like God's chastening hand. D.L. Moody told the story of when he used to get um, chastened by his mother. He would have to go out into the garden. He'd have to pick off a birch branch. And he would come back then and give this birch branch to his mother. And he would have a switch across the back of the legs. For all of those who, I suppose, went to grammar school would realize... Oh, and some comps, I suppose, before that was outlawed, realized what it was like to have a cane. And what Moody said was, is he found out that the further away he stood from his mother, the worse the chastening was. Because she was able to get a good run up. So the further away he stood, you imagine if he stood over there, she'd be like, whack, whoa. But he said the closer he stood to his mother, couldn't quite get the swing that she needed. And now that might sound cruel, but I'm saying that to say this. The closer we are to the Lord, the chastening doesn't hurt as much, but we recognize how much it helps. Those that the Lord loves, he chastens. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. If there's stuff that we've done in our lives that we've regretted, and we might still be reaping the consequences of that now. There's nothing we can change. All we can do is get as close to the Lord as possible, receive the chastening that he has for us, and then just move on. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Jeroboam, if he had listened to Ahijah, if, he, if, Ahijah, if he'd listened to God, he would have protected his future and Nadab's future and the generations to follow. He would have protected their future. He was promised a sure house. Unfortunately, Nadab's father um, had many chances to put things right for the Lord. And the Lord sent a few prophets his way. Um, there was a time in Jeroboam's life where his son Abijah was sick. Um, and Abijah was a king that we looked at a few weeks ago. Remember what Abijah's name meant? Ab, father, Yah, my father is Jehovah, my father is Yahweh. Um, so there must have been something in Jeroboam's spiritual life to, to call his son that. And his son is sick. If you look at 1 Kings 14, uh, we'll just read a few verses. Verse 7 of 1 Kings 14, it says that, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Abijah was sick so Jeroboam tells his wife to go and see Ahijah the prophet Ahijah was the one who originally gave Jeroboam the prophecy about the ten kingdoms so um, he sends his wife to go and see Ahijah uh, the prophet she goes in disguise so that um, she could read 1 Kings 14 1 Kings 14 verse 7 Go tell Jeroboam. Yeah, you there? Is that okay? Okay. First Kings 14. Thank you for that. What? I'm getting to verse 7. 
I'm highlighting, so I don't have to read all of that for the sake of time, but now for the time that you've taken, I could have read all of that. That's why I'm giving like a brief summary. Abijah was sick. Jeroboam said to his wife, go see Ahijah the prophet, but go in disguise. And we're going to get to verse 7 now as to what Ahijah said to Jeroboam's wife. You're trying to help. Oh, you've got jet lag. And me. Remember what I was saying about defiance? Uh, anyway, so, um, Jeroboam's wife goes to see Ahijah. Uh, about their sick son, and the news is not good. In verse 7, Ahijah says, Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people and made thee prince over my people uh, Israel and rent the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do that only which was right in mine eyes. God was the one who promoted Jeroboam. Jeroboam didn't win some great military victory. Jeroboam didn't win the hearts of the people for them to exalt him as their king. Jeroboam did nothing other than be the person that God had set up for promotion. But God is the judge. He put us down one and set us up another. He called himself in verse 7... Uh, when Ahijah uh, uh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel he had not forsaken Israel the northern kingdom even though Jeroboam had set up all of these idols even though Jeroboam had set up two false religious worship centers even though Jeroboam had instituted a whole new set of priests not from the tribe of Levi but God was still the God of Israel God is never going to forsake Israel. He didn't when they turned their backs on him in Egypt. He didn't when they turned their backs on him in the wilderness. He didn't when they turned their backs on him in the northern kingdom. He didn't when they rejected the Messiah. He didn't now. The church has not, will not, cannot replace Israel. We need to understand that. God will not forsake his people God is the one that brought Jeroboam to that position. Uh, let your conversation be about covetousness and be content with such things as he have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. As a believer in Christ, we recognize that we have that same privilege, that God will not forsake us as his children. He won't forsake Israel as their covenant people. It doesn't mean that they're all saved. It doesn't mean uh, that they're all headed to heaven, but he will not forsake them. And he's not forsaken us as his children because of Solomon's sin the kingdom and and the pride of Jeroboam the kingdom is divided and Ahijah said in verse 9 you Jeroboam have done evil above all that were before me and you think of what David did with Bathsheba and with Uriah You think of what Solomon did, setting up all of those false religious worship centers because of his wives. You think of what Rehoboam did in terms of, uh, again, um, uh, not listening to the wise counsel and, and chastening the people even worse than his father. And yet, Jeroboam was worse than all of them. All of their worst deeds compared to nothing 
when you line them up with what Jeroboam was like. His actions were worse than Saul's, were worse than David's failures, were worse than Solomon's sins. Jeroboam made other gods and provoked the Lord to anger. He forsook the Lord. He cast the Lord aside. He cast him behind his back. And we can look at Jeroboam and say, what an idiot. What a fool. But we do similar things every single day. We're not obedient to the Lord's word. We're getting on Jeroboam's back now because he affected his son's future and he didn't obey God's word. We do the same thing every time, every day. We could, we, if we were honest with ourselves, we would say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not 100% obedient to God's word. I don't always pray like I should. I don't, I'm not always in church like I should be. I'm not always uh, obedient to the word as I should be. I'm not always kind of desperate for God's will to be done in my lives. I don't always want to get rid of that particular sin that's in my life because I like it. When we throw the Lord behind our back in that way, we will reap the consequence. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast forgotten me and cast me behind thy back, therefore bear thou also thy lewdness and thy whoredoms. Jeroboam is about to find is about to find the truth of this verse. Jeroboam had the opportunity to have a sure house, a house that was steadfast. A house that was certain. But Ahijah said to Jeroboam's wife, Therefore I will bring evil upon the house, and I will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam, as a man taketh away dung till it be gone. Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat, for the Lord hath spoken it. Jeroboam had the opportunity to have a sure house. Uh, but the Lord said that his house would be cut off. And before we get too upset about um, cutting off all of those that piss us against the wall, that literally means all the men. That's what the lineage was. So what um, the prophet was saying was is that all the men, you're not going to have a line. You're not going to have a dynasty. You're not going to have anybody that is going to come after you because all of those effectively that stand up to do that, they're going to be cut off. They're going to be gone. Death is going to come you away. He said in verse 12 that the child uh, that was sick would die. Um, Proverbs 13, 21 says, Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. How could Jeroboam expect to reap anything other than what he had sown? Death would come his way. Despair would come his way. In verse 13, all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. That's the child that Jeroboam would lose. Only if Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. All Israel should mourn and bury the king's son. And Jeroboam's son, Abijah that died, was the only one that went to a grave. And we need to understand in the culture of this time, this was important. You know, what happened to the bodies after death in Israel were important. Remember what Joseph said, don't leave my bones in Egypt. You carry my bones when you come to the promised land. You take them with you. 
What happened after death was important. So for Jeroboam to be told that only you, a son, is going to go to the grave and have a proper burial and have a proper memorial, as it were, that was a big deal. It was a time of death and despair and destruction that his family would be cut off. Jeroboam led the nation into captivity because of the worship systems that he had set up. He laid the foundation for the whole nation. If he had just followed God's word, then that nation would have been blessed. His house would have been blessed. It's ironic that Israel got what they wanted but lost what they had. They wanted those false gods and the false gods that Jeroboam set up were the same gods that the Assyrians worshipped. And let me ask you this question. Who carried Israel into captivity? The Assyrians. So they got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. They got Jeroboam as their king because of their impatience with Rehoboam's taxation, but they didn't get any relief. They got the false gods uh, that they wanted, but that just ended up leading them off into the nation of the gods that they were worshipping in the first place. They became idolatrous and immoral and lost their freedom. You cannot live a certain way and expect God to bless. We reap what we sow. That is a fundamental principle in the word of God. We cannot live a life of sin from Monday to Saturday and then rock up on church on Sunday and expect God to be like, oh, thanks for your hour of time. You are awesome. We have a duty to live our lives a certain way every day of the week. We have a calling on our lives to live Christ-like lives, to bring glory to God and honor to Christ, to show the world that he has made a difference in our lives. But we can't live like the world and then expect to receive the spiritual blessings that God has in store for us. We'll always reap what we sow. So what about Nadab, this son of Jeroboam that ruled for two years? Here we see his failure Nadab, the king of defiance. Let me ask this question. Where have we heard this name before? Where have you heard the name Nadab before? I'll give you a clue. He had a brother, Abihu. He was one of Aaron's sons. Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire before the Lord, and then they were killed by the Lord. Why would you name your child? It's like, you know, somebody naming their daughter Jezebel, or, you know, somebody naming their son Adolf. You know, what? Because it's a connotation of what you remember of that person. Why would you name you a child of somebody who was wicked, evil, vile, despicable? You just wouldn't do it. It just amazes me that Jeroboam named one child Abijah, my father is God, my father is Jehovah, and then would name his other son Nadab after uh, somebody who's, who's not painted in a great light in Scripture. Nadab only ruled for two years, and we've only got a few short verses about Nadab in 1 Kings 
25, 15, 25 to 28. Jeroboam um, dies, um, leaving behind a terrible epitaph upon the sacred page, and his, na- his son Nadab succeeds him. In the 20, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, Asa, the great grandson of Solomon, as we know, was already on the throne. Uh, he's on the throne for 41 years, and during uh, his reign, in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, Nadab comes to the throne. And it's incredible uh, that the kings of Israel go through this time of turmoil. What I don't understand, and we see this a lot in Scripture, sometimes you can have a good father and really bad sons. Like we've said before, Samuel was a good man. But his sons weren't great. That was one of the reasons why Israel wanted a king, because of Samuel's sons. Sometimes the sons are really good, despite the fact that their father was wicked. We saw that with Asa. Asa was a good king, even though Abijah was a bad king. And you think, why didn't Nadab learn from his father's mistakes? I'm sure that he was aware of the prophecy that Ahijah had given to his father. And the only thing that you can think of is the fact that Nadab was defiant. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Maybe Ahijah had spoken to us. Not, we don't have it recorded, I don't think, but maybe Ahijah spoke to Nadab and said, look, don't make the same mistakes that your father did. Don't go down that road. You know, as many times I've heard people who have not come from good homes say, I didn't want my kids to grow up in that type of home because I learned from that 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 wasn't good. Nadab learned nothing from his father. Defiance always says, I'm going to do things my way. Do you know one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor when you go to do funerals of people who are unsaved? For some reason... The number one song of choice to be played in the funeral of an unbeliever is Frank Sinatra, My Way. Yeah, you away is broad and leads to destruction. I don't say that in funerals. I just... But it's not good. But sometimes as Christians, we can be just as defiant. No, I'm going to do it my way. Do we know better than God? Do we suddenly think that we have some kind of divine revelation that is better than what God's word says? Why do we think that we can do anything better? Why didn't Nadab learn from his father's mistakes? There's a defiance that says, I'm still going to do things my way. So here's the thing. Sometimes we'll be doing a DIY project and Joe will come along and maybe I'm struggling with something and I can't quite get something to work or can't quite get something to fit and Joe will come along and say why don't you try this? Mm. That won't work. And you keep doing the same wrong thing over and over and over and over again until they go away. And then you do it the way they said and it works and you go back then and say Oh, I got it to work after. Oh, did you try it my way? No, no, but I got it to work. Ringing any bells without a 
But we can be like that sometimes when the Lord says to us, what are you doing that for? How's that working out for you? You just need to make this one little change and it'll be okay. Mm, I'm not doing that. Don't tell me what to do. I know exactly what I'm doing. Defiance can destroy our spiritual lives quicker than anything else. Uh, the first stage of the defiance is selfishness. I want my way. I am going to do it my way. And no matter how long it takes me, I am not going to change. The second stage of defiance is stubbornness. I will not quit. Even if I'm going to do it and it's wrong, I'm still going to keep doing it. The third stage of defiance is indifference. So I don't care what happens now. And I don't care who gets hurt. I'm going to step on whoever gets in my way because I am still so selfish and so stubborn that I'm doing it this way. And then the fourth stage of defiance is resistance. The refusal to listen to advice. Well, why don't you try? Stop telling me what to do. The final stage is contempt. Not caring about the actions or the consequences of your actions. Defiance is usually revealed more readily in a stubborn refusal to obey. I am not going to do what God tells me to do because I am selfish, stubborn, indifferent, resistant, contemptuous. I am not doing that. That's just defiance. Often we try to hide from God or elude him by traveling the road of we think we can outrun God. It didn't work out too well for Jonah. If we find ourselves walking defiantly through life, then we need to heed those warnings. And God won't just let us walk headlong into destruction. He will put plenty of warnings in our path. The only way for us to escape the consequences of walking in defiance is to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to lead us in the way that we are to go. Because guess what? We cannot walk this path on our own. And God never intended us to walk this path on our own. We can't do this in our own strength. And guess what? God never required us to do this in our own strength. In the second year of his reign, Nadab was engaged in a wearisome battle against Gibbethon which belonged to the Philistines. It was a Levitical city um, in, the, in the tribe of Dan, which had been assigned to the Kohathites. This siege continued for 27 years. Here's the thing. The Philistines had been crushed by David. David, uh, uh, they were an insignificant power. I'm saying that to say this. This shouldn't have been a great battle against the Philistines because they weren't the force that they were before David came to the throne. The fact that they had been, or that they were able to assert themselves once more is proof that Israel was just weak without the Lord. While Nadab was occupied with his campaign, but Asher and a Skewer, son of Ahijah of the tribe of Issachar, conspired to kill him. As soon as this military revolt had placed Baasha on the throne, he fulfilled the curse which Ahijah had pronounced against Jeroboam. He absolutely exterminated the family of 
Nebat. In verse 29 of 1 Kings 15, it came to pass when Baasha reigned that he smote all the house of Jeroboam. He left not to Jeroboam any that breathed until he had destroyed him according unto the saying of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. Nadab reigns for only two years. Not very sure. Not very steadfast. But it could have been. It could have been. God keeps his promise of judgment upon Jeroboam's household. Ahijah told Jeroboam what God was going to do to his family. Imagine. What would you do with that kind of news? You know, Ahijah says to Jeroboam, your entire family is going to be wiped out because of your actions. We're not told that he repented. We're not told that he went before the Lord and begged for forgiveness. We're not told that he went and said, look, you know, whatever needs to be done, I can put this right. And with your help, we can... He was told that if he lived a certain way, the future of his household would be sure. But because of his actions... His entire family was wiped off the face of this earth. If you were told something bad was going to happen to your kids, what would you do to put it right? Can I say this? We kind of have been told that something bad is going to happen to our kids. Because anybody who dies without Christ is going to an eternal hell. Yeah, I've told this story before. I was petrified when Eve was little because I knew that she knew enough about salvation. She'd have to make that choice for herself to accept the Lord. My fear was that the Lord would come back, wrapped to the church, and Eve would be left behind. And because she knew enough about salvation that she'd be one of the ones that would never have an opportunity to accept the Lord after the rapture because she already knew enough that she'd be sent a strong delusion would believe a lie. And that petrified me. We know that something bad could happen to our kids. We know that something bad could happen to future generations because the Bible tells us so what are we going to do about it? We can either be defiant and say, well, not my problem. They're not my kids. It is our problem because we've been commissioned to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. Ah, oh, yeah, but, you know, somebody else might do it. What if nobody else does it? God's commissioned each and every one of us. I don't know what God wants in my life. He wants you to be a witness. I don't know what God's will is for my life. He wants you to preach the gospel to every creature. I don't know what God wants you to do. He wants you to go. God's word is sure. God's word never fails. He told Jeroboam, judgment's coming. And judgment came. And I say this, God has said to this whole world, judgment's coming. His word will not pass away. 
Not one jot or tittle will pass away until all has been fulfilled. Judgment is coming to this world. You know, we've got a whole month now where we celebrate a whole host of sin. Judgment's still coming whether or not we change the laws in this country to accept a sinful lifestyle or not. Judgment's still coming. Because God's word said it's coming. But what we've got to do is tell people about Christ. I'm thankful for the person who told me about the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word is sure. The world is heading for a terrible time if the Lord returns to take his church home in this seven years of judgment. People die without Christ. There is an eternity of judgment. Judgment is coming. Fact. Christ died upon the cross of Calvary to take the wrath of God upon himself so that judgment could be passed from us to him so that we might have everlasting life. I'm thankful I know Christ as my saviour and I just pray that in the areas of my life where I'm defiant towards God that he would change that that I would honour him as he deserves because of what he's done in my life. When he tells us to do something, he knows what he's doing. So let's just follow his voice and stop trying to work things out ourselves and follow our own voice. Father, we thank you again for this day and time and opportunity to come around your word, Lord. We just pray now that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd help us to realize and, and understand the, the dangers that we can get ourselves into when we are defiant towards your word and towards your will. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to alter those areas of our lives where we rely upon ourselves to the point of casting you aside, casting you behind our back, because we know that that is not, not a good idea. But Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning. Help us to put that right. Help us to receive the chastening that you have for us and that we might move on in our walk with you so that it might be something which is pleasing to you and will be something that would lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we just pray and ask these things in Christ's most wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I ask the men to come forward at this time as we come around the Lord's table. We have many pictures um, in our mind about what happened upon the cross of Calvary. And, you know, they say a, a picture paints a thousand words. And I think that the picture that we have here as we come around the Lord's table is quite incredible because we are told in the scripture that the Lord's body was broken every bone was out of joint and when you see the type of bread uh, that was used back then um, when you look at a, a map so you see the stripes upon it you see the holes within it and you recognize the fact then that the lord jesus christ was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed he was pierced 
one day Israel will look on him whom they fear. Um, when Thomas said that he wouldn't believe unless he saw the prints in his hands, and that a week later the Lord appeared and said, look, behold, one day we'll get to heaven and we'll still see those prints. You know, somebody once said, oh, well, Jesus doesn't have a body in heaven anymore. Yes, he does. Um, because when we get to heaven, we'll see the prints that are still in his hands because they are a reminder of what he did for us upon the cross of Calvary. On the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, you know, and as the bread was passed around, each one of the disciples tore a piece off. The picture is reminding us that it wasn't the Israelites that crucified the Lord. It wasn't the Jews that crucified the Lord. Every one of us, when we take that bread, if we were to have one piece and we would tear it off ourselves, we had a hand in putting Christ upon the cross. We recognize that he said, I lay down my life. But it was our sins that put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. On that night that the Lord Jesus Christ um, took the bread, he blessed it. I wonder if Jamie would ask a blessing on the bread. took it and broke it and said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you.
kept this incredible picture of the blood that was shed upon the cross of Calvary in order for the juice to be produced the grape has to be crushed we are told in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman would have his heel bruised literally crushed but that the head of the serpent would be bruised crushed in order for the juice to be produced the grape has to be crushed in order for the blood to be shed on Calvary the Lord Jesus Christ was literally crushed for our sins his blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven and as we partake of this cup we recognize the price that was paid on Calvary for us and we remember all that he did for us I wonder if Neil would ask a blessing on this cup
Lord Jesus Christ said that this cup was a picture of a new covenant that was made between us and the Lord. And that every time we were to drink this, we were to remember the price that he paid on Calvary. He said to do this in remembrance of him. Amen. Let's just close our service out this morning with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for this time together today. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to come to church and to praise and worship you. And I thank you that we're able uh, to end our service uh, as we come around the table, Lord, and remember all that you did upon the cross of Calvary. Father, I just pray that, again, we would just uh, be reminded of uh, the characters in the Old Testament and the New uh, that have not been obedient to your word, that have been characters that we can learn from because of the mistakes that they made. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put right if there's any kind of defiance in our lives when it comes to spiritual things, uh, that we would put that right with you. Father, I just pray this morning that you would keep us safe as we go separate ways. We are thankful for the privilege we have to be able to gather in this way. And I just pray that you bring us back together tonight with our hearts prepared, ready to praise and worship you once again. Father, we just want to say we love you and we praise you. And we ask all of these things in the precious, matchless, and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.